the unhinged Bloody Mary was essentially a meal in, in a glass. <laughs> it was, it was, it had, I mean, it, it had chicken tenders. I believe there were a few onion rings. It's basically whatever we had that we were making anyways, just put it in there. <laughs> This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Russ Fisher, the editorial director of the Box Office Studios, which provides editorial content to movie theaters. And I'm joined by Rebecca Polly, the deputy editor of Box Office Pro magazine. This week, Rebecca and Box Office Pro's editorial director, Daniel Luria, spoke to Rich Dautridge of Warehouse Cinemas, which is a Maryland cinema that actually opened during COVID, which is kind of counter to virtually everything else we've talked about this year. And it makes it a very different scenario from any other cinema owner that we've talked with over the course of the past six months or so. Before we get to that conversation, however, I have two things. First, uh, again, I want to ask you to take our survey, which can be found on our website. We just want to get some information about what our listeners like and don't, maybe what you want from the podcast, all that sort of thing. So please take a couple of seconds to do. It doesn't take long at all, and it will help us and ultimately you quite a bit. We also have a couple of news stories that we feel like need to be discussed this week. So, Rebecca, let's talk about Cinemark, which recently had an earnings call. And a quick full disclosure, asterisk here, Cinemark is a box office studios client. So, Rebecca, tell me about the earnings call. What did Mark Zarati say that kind of got people talking? Last week, we mentioned what happened with AMC, IMAX, Canepolis, and Marcus. And uh, this week, we have some updates from Cinemark. Now, the phrase that kind of got battered around a lot, you know, in the media, per CEO Mark Zarati, was dynamic theatrical windows. And basically, how it was presented in this earnings call is that you have this traditional 72-day window of theatrical exclusivity and that's not going to work anymore just as a steady, it's always going to be like that rule. What Zerati said moving forward is what they are looking for at Cinemark is, you know, it's going to be a case-by-case basis depending on the film. Some films deserve a shorter window. Some films deserve a longer window. (laughs) Um, you know, obviously, uh, deserve is an interesting choice of words there. <laughs> deserve, you well, know, I know what you, I know what you mean, and I know what he meant. Yeah. I think depending on the box office, like depending on how the films do and their potential and how much they're making. Obviously, the the, the elephant in the room here with all the Windows stuff is Universal and their deal with AMC. Cinemark did confirm that they're screening upcoming Universal titles, The Crudes, A New Age, and Freaky. They did screen Let Him Go, which uh, which was the number one film last weekend. And, and those are films that through their deal with, through Universal Focus's deal with AMC, could potentially have as little as a 17-day window. You know, so Russ, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this because the phrasing of dynamic theatrical windows, it, it definitely catches the eye and it's definitely interesting and means things could be shifting. But I feel like it's kind of what we've been hearing from exhibitors, uh, a lot of them over the last couple months, really. It is. That's what I get out of it, at least. And I'm curious to see how good it is for theaters. I can see this being very good for studios. You know, if you've got a picture that isn't performing super well theatrically, at the end of three weeks, it's trailing off. Nobody wants to devote screens to it anymore, so that may be the way in which it's good for exhibitors. And the studio or distributor wants to take an opportunity to you know, extend the title's legs on PVOD or whatever. So having the opportunity to do that for a variety of titles makes a lot of sense. Where it gets 
curious to me or potentially interesting is with a larger title like The Crudes, where there is a lot of potential in a normal landscape for it to do well and for it to play a really long theatrical window. But as you go towards the holidays, I can see a company like Universal wanting to get that movie to digital as quickly as possible. And I'm curious to see how that particular tension point is going to play out. With a movie like Let Him Go, even a movie like Freaky, I don't foresee a lot of big issues. But with a couple of key titles like The Croods, it could be really interesting really fast. I mean, I'm just curious to see, you know, the title-by-title negotiation that's going to happen. It seems like that would have to be not just up front, here's what the window is going to be, but something that's ongoing. I think back to a title like, uh, I think it was two years ago, Time Has No Meaning in 2020, but The Greatest Showman, which I don't think anybody really, I mean, certainly our chief analyst didn't predict that it was going to make as much money as it did. And in those first couple weeks, it didn't look like it was going to be, I mean, it kind of looked like a flop, right, from a box office perspective. And then it just keeps having legs. Certainly in a situation like that, you need to be able to kind of be flexible and shift things around as the life of a film in theaters evolves, especially, you know, especially over the coming months when the theatrical landscape in terms of big films are going to get, it's so unpredictable. I think that's a very good point. It's a good title to bring up. It's also interesting because that movie was released, what, around Christmas mm-hmm. and the bulk of its box office success came in like January and February, which is, you know, notor- it's not quite now what January and February was 10, 15, 20 years ago, but still the perception is of those months as a relatively slow mm-hmm. period for theatrical. And so that's a good zone for a movie like The Greatest Showman to play. And so now that we're we're in a point where there are not a lot of titles hitting theatrical, it's a relatively sparse landscape right now. I'm curious to see how the Windows conversation plays out, where mm-hmm. for a lot of exhibitors, there's every reason to want to keep a movie like, you know, certainly The Crudes, but even Freaky and Let Him Go on screens as long as they're performing. Yeah, the long tail is so important right now. Right now, it's a big deal. So it's, yeah, this is, I I don't know what to predict here. It's, I'm not sure how we're going to see this play out. But like you say, that question of figuring it out on the fly, the dynamic part of this phrase is the one that it's, I can see why it sounds good on paper, but I don't know how it's going to work in practice. Yeah. I mean, it really just, it was interesting to see it confirmed with Cinemark that it's going to be a similar situation with AMC, with other smaller uh, exhibitors we're seeing, you know, maybe like, for example, an Alamo Draft House, just places that are not married to the traditional window as it has existed up to this point. But getting back to, to more recent things that we know about and we can definitively say, uh, <laughs> not much of that these days, but Russ, there's been uh, some additional changes to the Disney release schedule. Yeah, two potentially big titles were unset at the end of last week. Both were actually originally Fox titles that were that became Disney titles as part of the merger. There's Death on the Nile, which is Kenneth Branagh's second Agatha Christie adaptation in which he uh, stars as Hercule Poirot, the mustachioed investigator. 
He also directs the movie, and that's a sequel of sorts to Murder on the Orient Express, which actually performed pretty well a couple of years ago. And then there's the Ryan Reynolds video game action comedy Free Guy, in which Ryan Reynolds plays basically a non-player character in a massive video game who kind of realizes that he's in a video game and decides to try to change things. Both of those movies you can see doing relatively well. They were both films that were delayed by COVID. They had both been set for December. Now they are without release dates and will you know, presumably be set sometime in 2021, but we don't have any details yet. Disney has an earnings call on Thursday of this week, so there's a chance that we will learn more then. Yeah, so we're not going to say too much on Disney now. Um, if you're listening to this on on Thursday morning, uh, Thursday at four thirty Eastern time is when when Disney has their their next earnings call. The last earnings call is when they said uh, Mulan was going to Disney Plus. There have been some rumblings, some rumors, unconfirmed at this point um, about about Disney going towards you know a more streaming, you know, focusing their energies more uh, more on streaming. So. Um, yeah, check in, uh, check into boxofficepro.com for breaking news on that. And, uh, and assuming that there is news out, out of Disney's earnings call, we'll definitely break it down in next week's podcast episode. But for now, still waiting to see. This episode is brought to you by Sharp NEC Display Solutions, a leading provider of high-quality imaging solutions. NEC is currently offering over 50% off MSRP on the NC1201 laser projector and lens bundle, which is backed by a three-year warranty. Contact your Sharp NEC dealer for details. And moving on to our main story in this week's episode, Daniel Luria, Box Office Pro, and myself have spoken to Rich Dottridge, who uh, had the unique experience of opening a brand new theater in September of this year. It's definitely a challenge. Uh, it was interesting to hear from Rich, not only as a theater operator, but as someone who is uh, involved both in Mid-Atlantic NATO uh, and the Independent Cinema Alliance. Rich, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a crazy number of months, obviously, as we've been tracking the entire COVID crisis. Of course, your perspective of everything is slightly different as an exhibitor. Could you tell us a little bit about your involvement with Warehouse Cinemas, when you guys launched, and what's your experience been so far during the pandemic? Yeah, definitely. And thanks for having me, Daniel and Rebecca. As I said earlier, I feel like I know you guys listening to you every week. But yeah, so this is our third cinema venture. We have done two other ones, one in the western part of Maryland and also in uh, southern Pennsylvania. But we opened this one under the brand Warehouse Cinemas, and it has been going pretty well. Uh, we opened in the middle of the Oof. pandemic, so after investing quite a, quite a bit of money. But as we'll talk about later, we're doing some marketing things that are really moving the needle for us. And hopefully your listeners will, will hear some things that they can use as well. So you said you opened in the middle of the pandemic. When <laughs> precisely uh, did, did you open your doors? Yeah, so we started construction in December of last year. Uh, we were ready to open, I guess it was late May, early June, where construction was completed. And uh, we couldn't open because Maryland wasn't open yet. So we basically were on the sideline for a, a few months there. And then we opened in the uh, early September. So September, the first weekend of September was our first day. 
so yeah, I would say the middle, I don't know where the middle is necessarily yet, but it was, uh, yeah, I mean, you come from a marketing background, you're the marketing chair at the ICA. Clearly it's something that you can speak to, you know, what we have been writing about and talking about a lot on the podcast is during the period of shutdown, especially for independent cinemas to really maintain that marketing, to maintain that connection with your pre pandemic audience, to remind them that you're there how do you do that as warehouse? How do you market your opening? How do you bring people in when you literally did not have an, an audience to that cinema before? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, I've, I've been thinking about a lot about it based on our grosses and some of the successes we've we've had with our, our strategies. I've been describing it this way. We're really a marketing and technology company that exhibits movies. And I think that that's my background for 15 years is owning a marketing agency called High Rock. And so we started off really back in December, just we launched all of our social media channels and we really started having a conversation with the community around what we were doing. We described it as bringing them along the journey of taking what was an old 10 screen Hoyts cinema in an abandoned mall, by the way, and basically bringing that cinema back to life. And so six months ago, we just started that drumbeat of, of really, you know, here's where we are, here's progress photos. Uh, as you mentioned, Rebecca, early in the call, we did a video sort of a before and after, uh, or shot it before, and then we ended up having the before and after as our, as our launch. And I think for us, I, I think it's that constant connection with the community that we've tried to do, and it's really created a lot of awareness. I know NATO often says that many people don't even know that movie theaters are open right now. So it's one of the things that we have a that we're fighting so um we just try to create the awareness of that not only are you open but here are the movies that we're showing so it's a lot of social media a lot of digital i think we our team has done a good job developing the brand we might be able to get into that a little bit sort of why we exist and and sort of what movie going means to us what was i mean what what is that brand you're a new theater in an established in an established market i mean what's the movie theater feel like in frederick what kind of area is that for exhibitors Frederick, Maryland is a, is, a, is what we would consider a secondary market. So it's about 30 minutes uh, west of Baltimore and D.C. And so the brand that we wanted to create was what we call the everyday hero. We were very intentional about creating not only a great experience to watch a movie, great sound, great picture. We have all 4K projectors. We have a technology called Skyview, 100% recliners, seat warmers, all of that, sort of the product side of it. But in our opinion, we also always knew that we needed to motivate people to get out of the house and come to the movies with other amenities as well. So we would have, um, we decided to have 28 beer taps, which is actually a self-serve system, which is super cool. We have a full bar, we have uh, mixed drinks, we have wine, and we also have an extended menu as well. So we have food options beyond the traditional popcorn and candy, we actually have what we call elevated comfort food. So what we've done is we've crafted a menu around gourmet grilled cheeses. Oh, I, lo- I like, uh, I like any kind of grilled Ooh, cheese. Yeah, you, you, you already put got gourmet it. before that, and wonderful. I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> and then also flatbread um, pizzas. So again, some flavor profiles. We have a had a restaurant experience over the last few years as well. We learned a lot with that. And um, so it's sort of an, it's, somewhere between a full-fledged restaurant and, and traditional concession items. And we, we think we've hit the right balance there with good food options at price points that make sense. It's fast casual model. We don't serve to the seat. We don't order from the seat. Everything happens in the concessionary, which reduces our labor costs. And we're, in, we're able to get the food in and out in about six minutes per customer. 
Oh, that's fantastic. It's it's one of those things that Rebecca and I personally talk about when we go to the movies. We really like the dine-in experience, but if I'm waiting for my dish to come out, you know, after 15, 20 minutes, I can't really focus on the movie. I'm looking, it's kind of like at a restaurant when you're waiting for your order to arrive, you're looking at everybody else's table to see yeah. who's getting their food. Next thing I know, it's 40 minutes in and I'm completely distracted. I, I really like that quick turnaround yeah. for uh, for that dining. Or, or the ushers are going back and forth and kind of blocking the view. That's mm-hmm. a personal pet meeve of mine, which I guess uh, relates to, to theater design as well as operational planning. But I like just, I'm, Quickly get it, go, sit in my seat, eat a gourmet grilled cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Now, talking about um, theater design, I want to talk a little bit about something you mentioned uh, in passing just now, uh, the Skyview concept. Uh, I was tipped off that you guys were planning something like this, uh, I think, last summer for the first time, and I've been meaning to, to talk to you about it. But could you explain to our listeners what the Skyview concept is, how you came up with the idea, and, and how you've executed yeah, so with this being our third venture, uh, we learned a lot. We had no idea what this business and this industry was about. About 10 years ago, we jumped into it. But we quickly learned that recliners were going to be a thing of the future, for sure. We did recliners back in 2010, actually, when AMC first launched their mm-hmm. recliner. And we basically, there was what we saw was a challenge long-term in the industry when you have uh, movie theaters that are stadium seating. So you have these these steep stadium seating, and then you have these recliners on the top few rows of those auditoriums. And frankly, the because we care about the picture and the sound quality, we did not like and, and saw a future in that recliner because of the line of sight that you had towards the screen. A lot of times on the top rows, you'll look through your feet, essentially. Yeah. We have people kind of looking up towards the ceiling, I guess. I find my eyes drifting up there sometimes if, a, you have <laughs> if the, movie, a, you the have movie's a great- not working for me. <laughs> you have a great view of the Dolby Atmos speakers above your head. I mean, that's, that's the only plus I can think of uh, when you're on that last row. So realizing that challenge, we said, okay, I, I remember uh, calling our COO, Greg Mills, and I said, I think I have an idea. I have no idea where it's going to go, but what if our brand, you know, our brand was already Warehouse Cinemas. We already planned that. We already sort of designed the logo. And we knew we wanted to this modern industrial look and feel we didn't want neon lights. We didn't. We wanted to create almost a brewery, winery feel with this modern eco design. And a lot of times we planned on and still plan on going into big box stores. So in those cases, if you assume recliners are going to be the future of the industry, what's going to happen? You're going to have, you can build stadium seating or slope flooring, but what if you had a flat floor? What if we went into a flat floor scenario and we could figure out a way to raise and tilt the screen at an angle that optimized mm. almost every seat in the auditorium. And it was a simple tweak. It was basically our patent pending on this that we hope is finalized in the next 12 months or so is essentially the relationship between a flat floor or sloped, um, the recliner angle of, of the reclining seat and the angle of the actual screen itself. And so our ergonomic research basically proved to us that there's a better mo- movie experience, depending on what size auditorium with some math that goes into it. And so we did that in Frederick, Maryland for, for the first time. It was actually a slope floor, about 50-50 slope and flat. And uh, people comment on it. It's actually a, a really good uh, view of the mm-hmm. screen um, over the person in front of you. No problems at all. It's been well received so far. When I first heard about it, it reminded me of uh, I grew up in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we had a, a, a science museum there called Discovery Place. And they had the Omnimax cinema with the curved screen mm-hmm. where you're looking up at it. And uh, it just kind of 
I, I, I like watched the dark night there. I think it was mostly nature docs, but then some actual movie movies. And, you know, with that around the edges of the screen, things were a bit distorted, but it, it was really immersive. It, it was a really cool experience for me as a kid going to see movies where you're literally looking up at them. Well, you think of like even planetariums, right? And how interesting that experience feels. And it seems like Skyview is a little bit of that concept, right? Where you you can sort of sit back and still have this very relaxed, direct view of the screen. It's just one of those examples of how using digital cinema and the latest technology, even how we think of the traditional auditorium is, mm-hmm. is evolving rapidly. One of those things that, that always gets on my nerves when, when people talk about this industry is like, well, why are movie theaters stuck back in time? The, the whole sticky floor narrative, I don't think I've ever been to a cinema with a sticky floor, but you keep on hearing it over and over again. Uh, but the reality with projects like this, Rich, is, is that there is innovation from just the essential initial level of design for an auditorium. Yeah, there is. And, and, and it also is a tremendous amount of cost savings from a construction perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in negotiation with landlords, in our, in our case, we're not talking about one-use facilities anymore. We're talking about flat floors. And our negotiations can, can go really well because we're, we're, we're essentially negotiating uh, what isn't a one-use facility anymore. And what, what's in, it's interesting about your comment about the planetarium. We've had the, when we've explained it to investors and industry uh, stakeholders, we actually had it rendered in our uh, VR headsets. So because we wanted to make sure that people didn't feel like it was way up in the sky. I mean, it's really a, a 10 to 20 degree tilt, depending on the size of the auditorium. So we literally rendered it in VR. So if you put the goggles on, we sit someone down in a recliner and we say, this is what the experience is. And what's interesting about it as well that we've experienced now, you know, having the screens on site for a few months is it is a more immersive experience. You know, we live our lives on a plane parallel to the ground and we watch, we look at our computers basically at a degree that's straightforward. Sky view is that slight tilt away from where we spent most of our day. And it, it's funny that that simple tweak actually, in our opinion, at least creates a more immersive experience. It's interesting what you said about uh, developing the cinema as a multi-use space. That's something that you know, there's been discussion about before, but certainly it's all the more relevant now where with COVID, it's it's put into stark relief how exhibitors really sh- shouldn't be as dependent on studio product as they are in an ideal world. You know, we're seeing that now. There's very little studio product and, and exhibitors are in a bind. Have you had those conversations about, you know, bringing other groups into the space, using the space for other things beyond theaters? How has your thought kind of evolved on that over the months? Yeah, we've had those those conversations a lot. But, you know, with 50 percent capacity in Maryland, we've been pretty effective at getting people out to even some of the uh, repertoire films that we that we're showing really what we do every week is we look at the schedule and say, okay, we essentially have two categories. One is what retro films make sense for this time of year. So recently it was Halloween. We did a whole Halloween month um, of just a lot of the retro movies, but we would wrap those movies in events. So we would have different events. The showcase was the movie itself, but we would have a special drink. For example, we would have a witch's brew, which was an alcoholic drink. And we would throw a party around some of the films we're doing. 
And so we would continue to think, okay, what retro films plus event marketing can we do? And then secondly, which has been really interesting, is what are the movies that are out there right now? The War with Grandpa's, The Honest Thief, even movies like On the Rocks. What is some content out there that people just simply don't know about because there isn't marketing behind it from the studios or the distributors? And so we said, okay, that's a huge challenge, but some of these films are actually pretty good. So what are we going to do about that? So we look at those films that are coming as well. And we've simply gone to our local media companies, the newspaper, the radio stations, and we basically said, look, we have no money right now. (laughs) We have films that are coming out that no one knows about and we need you. So what we can offer you is on-screen advertising. We can offer you trade for that. But we need your help, especially now, and and it'll be a long-term partnership, to get the word out for us on a hyper-local basis on these movies that no one's heard of. So we basically coined the term Movie Matters. And so every week now, the word is, has been getting out on those films in our immediate region of Frederick, Maryland, the, you know, the, the western part of D.C. And surprisingly, we've essentially taken over the role of marketing for the studios and have actually been doing pretty good with the grosses. So I say all that to say, to answer your question, we, we have had to do some alternative programming, but we've had a lot of sellouts recently because we've had the retro films with those events doing well. Uh, relatively well. And then we've also had these these movies that don't have marketing. We've been able to market those to get people through the doors. I don't know if you saw, Rebecca, the picture that, that Rich put up on, on LinkedIn of the special drink that they rolled out for Unhinged. Oh, I need to go look for that. Oh, it's, you won't forget it. Rich, What was there an onion ring in there? What was that? So <laughs> we worked with the marketing cherry over at Solstice and, and actually rolled out to the ICA members as well. We basically had three parts to sort of one of the final weekends of Unhinged. And one of those things was a, what we called an Unhinged Bloody Mary. And so the Unhinged Bloody Mary was essentially a meal in a, in a glass. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this, Daniel. I remember you showing me this. It do, it did look like a full meal. So it had, I mean, it, it had chicken t- tenders. I believe there were a few onion rings. It's basically whatever we had that we were making anyways, just put it in there. <laughs> I like that. I like your approach. <laughs> it, became a, it became really popular on Facebook. And it's in, um, we actually did it at a restaurant about a year ago, and it was super popular. So we're like, you know what? What can we do for unhinged? What can we do for Solstice? This is an unhinged Bloody um, Mary. <laughs> But that's a great example of that, of thinking outside of the box. And how do you fill that gap in studio marketing? Not not even a gap in studio marketing, which we know is there, but as you mentioned with the title like Unhinged, this is laid into the film's run. You're trying to get that attention. You're trying to have people talk about it. And if you've already seen Unhinged or don't really feel like watching it, seeing an image like that or a promotion like that will get going to the movies back in your head and get your specific mm-hmm. brand out there. I thought it was an, an ingenious way to, to start communicating that. And it's really an extension, I think, of how warehouse cinemas since you guys opened in, in September, has been very proactive in communicating with that local audience, that really hyper-targeted marketing approach, as you mentioned, right, Rich? Uh, part of that was actually hosting the, the governor of Maryland in, in the cinema itself. And as we all know right now, the cinema effort uh, is probably not the best time between state governors and, and cinemas mm-hmm. <laughs> in government relations. Yeah, Mayor de Blasio is not going out to a theater in New York anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but you're able to flip that and really sort of 
have a direct connection with your government leadership. Can you tell us about how that came through and, and the impact of that campaign? Yeah, so we, I'm a board member of Mid-Atlantic NATO and an advisory board member of NATO and then obviously on the ICA side. So I was really involved in government affairs, just trying to take a leadership role as best I could as a small player in the state of Maryland. And so we had some connections with Maryland. And early on, we just, via the Commerce Department mostly of the state, we just kept the, the conversation going. I think we were respectful along the way had multiple conversations with the Department of uh, Commerce, the Secretary of Commerce, Secretary Scholes, and, you know, John Fithian and, and others from NATO were on those calls. And, you know, I, I guess I, I sort of helped convince them at some point with the help of NATO and IC and everyone else that movie going was safe. And, and so when time came for Maryland to reopen, I had asked, you know, you always ask, I would love for the governor to come out and, and basically do a tour and, I think we got a call the day before. Hey, he's coming to Frederick. He would love to join you. And he he literally sat there and watched some trailers with uh, Secretary Scholes. And uh, Governor Hogan's been a bit been a, a big advocate of ours. But there was a, t- a tendency to potentially get frustrated because Maryland was one of the last states to open. Right. It, it was one of those on the map that it, 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 we didn't really see progressing. But that was really from night to day. And I really didn't realize until I saw the pictures of the governor at your cinema that relations were actually quite improving between the two sides. Yeah. And I think it's a case of, you know, I don't know, respectfully disagreeing and, and telling them that consistently and calling them and emailing them and finding any, any, uh, any delegate or, or Senator in the state to listen to you. Um, Wait, Rich, you mean civil discourse works in politics? <laughs> I, I don't know what pre-COVID era you think we're in here. You know, I think, I think if you're going to, I think if you're going to give them a, a good free gourmet grilled cheese, that would help butter Does things that up a bit. Is that a bribe? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, I guess I'm an eternal optimist. I don't know. It, it, it tended to play out well for us, and uh, you know, he was he. They, they ended up going back and putting uh, lots of stuff on their on their social oh, media nice. as well. And I think for the state of Maryland, it gave consumers a, a sense of comfort as well that the governor was like, look, I'm out here. I'm I'm enjoying a movie. There is social distancing part of this. The protocols are there. Uh, that NATO's rolled out. And it was just a great, um, it was a great PR campaign, I think, for the state and the country. Speaking for me personally, you know, whenever a new theater opens up, I I try to go to it, check it out, see a movie there. And and then, you know, if I I add it to my roster of movie theaters I go to, that depends on a variety of factors. I was wondering, obviously, it's, it's early days for you, but what the arc of your attendance has been like compared to those first two cinemas? Do you have regulars yet? We do. It's crazy. Um, I mean, some of the feedback we're getting is that people are coming back two and three times a week now because in our particular case, we have a a large open space. So it's about, I think it's 28,000 square feet of, but the lobby is a, is a 20 foot lobby, floor to ceiling. And yeah, so we're seeing, we're seeing an increase in attendance for sure as the awareness gets out there. And as we continue to market those films, the, the, the one number that we really, from a marketing sort of success metric follow is what is our percentage of the domestic box office? Like how are we relative to the box office to see if we're increasing? Because there's a another major exhibitor in town that's closed right now. So we're trying not to get ahead of ourselves. But honestly, when we look at Comscore and we look at where our little 10 screen in, in the middle of Maryland is doing compared to some of the other large players, we're extremely grateful. And so to answer your question, we we have seen a consistent 
flow of people uh, to the point where at 50% capacity, we're selling out some some shows on Friday and Saturday night. So it's extremely encouraging, I think, for the country as well. If you hear me type and I'm looking up how long it takes me to drive to Fredericks, <laughs> I, don't have a, I don't have a car, so that'll put a kink in matters. But it sounds like, a, I mean, I, anyone who's listening, I, I really recommend going on the website and checking out the design of, of the theater because it really is like a, a cool looking kind of industrial hip. Like, it's just a nice, clean lines. It's, it's a really beautiful-looking theater. Yeah, we spend quite a bit of time as our, at our agency. We do 3D and virtual reality for a lot of commercial real estate developers. And so we really were thoughtful around what do we want this thing to look like. We, we didn't want it to be the traditional movie theater, like I said, with neon lights. We want it to be – I mean, everything that we're doing is, is about experiences. So it's about experiential marketing. And part of that is the product when you show up. It's uh, it's those clean lines, like you mentioned, of the wood. We had a great designer in, uh, in Chris Ritchie. He's from Zoltan Design out of Frederick. He and I just sort of collaborated on that. We got our 3D team involved and we actually rendered it before we built it. And um, it literally looks like the rendering that we created. Um, but people love it. People come in and they're and it, they're sort of blown away by the idea that this is a movie theater. It's like it's it almost feels like a, a slick restaurant, sort of that startup restaurant in New York City or something. But we're showing movies and. Yeah, people have really commented on that. We also have, by the way, all of our auditoriums, if you look at our website, all of our auditoriums are actually sea container doors. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're obviously faux on the, on the wall, but there are every single auditorium has, has a, a original sea container door as you enter with a number on it uh, to sort of match that look and feel. As you say that, Rich, it's fascinating to see how as we begin to recover as an industry from the impacts of this pandemic, individual locations are really carving their own niche in their local communities, as, as you guys have with Warehouse Cinemas. As an independent exhibitor with so much competition out there, with so much uncertainty, what's been your biggest uh, resource or uh, your biggest allies in sharing information, sharing best practices, and getting everything ready institutionally to then deliver for that local audience? Yeah, I mean, I think, especially with independent cinemas, I, f I feel in my heart that we have an opportunity as independent cinemas to really reinvent a little bit of, of the future of cinema. And and so for us, the resources we're pulling from are obviously marketing, uh, advertising, we're doing some creative things that we talked about earlier. But I believe that we're having to go back to almost the foundation of why cinemas exist in the first place. You know, it, it, it really is about community. It's, it really is about creating experiences. Our mission at Warehouse Cinemas is actually creating moments worth remembering. And, and that we spend a lot of time coming up with that because we want our, our team members to believe that when you come to the cinema and you whoever you're with, you're creating a connection with them. Um, you're spending a couple hours together. Um, you're also spending time with a community. You're in, a, you're in an auditorium with people uh, laughing together, crying together, or get, getting scared together, whatever it is. And I think fundamentally, we've pulled from that sort of missional place. And that's how we do our social media. We, t we talk about why we're going to the movies and what the feelings are of going to the movies. Not necessarily just these are the movies. It's more than that. And I think, um, I think we're in a, a period the industry is of going back to some of those basics of showmanship, right? They, that's a, a word that people have used in the past. I, someone brought it up on a different call I was on and I said, I, I feel like it's showmanship, but I feel like it's like showmanship 2.0 or something. <laughs> I like that. It's like, 
like we almost have to like, you know, on the front end from a, from a probably a social media perspective, a digital media perspective, cast the vision of, of the feeling of going to the movie theater. And then when they show up, deliver on that promise. And um, we actually have a, a, a brand promise that all of our team members get trained on it. And it's simply this, it's, it's simply save the day. So I, I talked about our brand being the everyday hero, but really when it comes down to it, when that, when that consumer, when that guest walks through the door, our staff, our team, basically have one job and that is to save the day at least for the next two hours right <laughs> so we've been in or they they the consumer has been in their home they've been working on zoom all day or whatever it is for those next two hours let's do whatever it takes to just save the day for them let's give them a great presentation uh, picture and sound let's give them you know good food let's give them drink options all of those things you know, if it's a mom that has three kids in tow, take their popcorn to the seat with them. Like you're saving the day for that mom. That mom needs that, that those two hours to basically sort of disconnect. So I think to answer your question, I don't even know if I answered it, but I, I think we're going back to the fundamentals mm-hmm. of why cinema exists in the first place. Well, I mean, and you're involved with the, the ICA, the Independent Cinema Alliance, and, and just, you know, speaking for Daniel and myself, I think uh, we spoke to the Next Act Cinema in Pikesville, Maryland, and that's an independent cinema that really engages in that showmanship 2.0. And it, and it feels, you know, independent cinemas, you know, through their connections with the community are, are really, have really been amazing at doing that during this time. And, and I'm always happy to see whatever the, whatever the ICA is up to, uh, because I really, I really do uh, respect that mission and the mission of independent cinemas. Yeah, and I would, I would be remiss to not mention just the tremendous leadership at NATO. The entire team at NATO, John Fithian and Jackie and 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 all all of them, Phil. I mean, they've just those webinars. I don't know if you guys have been on those, but they are just chock full of information from safety protocols to just uh, obviously the, the movie slate's a big deal on those. But I would say. You know, the the benefit of having the leadership in NATO has been a tremendous asset for the industry right now. And again, especially with John Fithy, and I, 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 I think the world of him. Um, and I think the, the ICA is doing a good job as well for independence, you know, uh, training them on things like marketing, having our ICA live calls. Um, and then obviously the regionals as well are doing a good job with uh, local advocacy and government uh, relations and all of those things. Well, thanks, Rich, so much for joining us once again. Uh, it's been a great uh, opportunity to, to finally chat with you. I'm looking forward to stopping by the cinema next time I go down to Camden Yards on my drive back. You might be on my way or maybe worth a, worth a stopover to catch a movie. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person and, and catching a film there. Yeah, that'd be great, Dan. And anytime we can host, that'd be great. And if you don't mind, I'd like to mention one just quick little plug for ICA. Um we had a board meeting yesterday on Thursday, and as part of what we'd like to do to help the industry, uh, we are offering six months of uh, free membership to the ICA. So if any of your listeners are not members of the ICA, they can join for free. If you're already an ICA member and you've already paid, you'll go get credited uh, basically through the month of um, March. Uh, so basically six months of free membership to ICA, and I know NATO is also doing uh free membership as well. So I just want to mention that. So that's uh, cinemaalliance.org uh, is the, is the website for the independent cinema Alliance. If anyone, anyone listening needs, uh, needs that information is, is all the information on, on getting or extending that free membership. It's on the website. It should be. Yes. We just, 
voted on it yesterday, so it should be up there here here soon. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Rich, thank you, thank you so much, and and uh, like Daniel, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I'll be able to get out to to any movie theater soon, but uh, but particularly Warehouse because it, it does. Uh, I, I want to drink one of those <laughs> weird movie specific cocktails and have a gourmet grilled cheese. <laughs> thank you, Beth. It, it was fun. Rebecca and Daniel, thank you both for that interview with Rich Dottridge of Warehouse Cinemas. And thank you to our friends at Sharp NEC. And one more time, I'd like to remind you to take our survey if you have a couple of seconds. It's on our website and uh, will just help us get a little bit better understanding of uh, what you, our regular audience, uh, would like to hear from us in the future. The Box Office Podcast is produced by recordeditpodcast.com. This episode was written by Rebecca Polly and Daniel Luria, who also conducted the interview with Rich Dottridge. And it was narrated by Rebecca and Daniel and me, Russ Fisher. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you again next week. Take care. <laughs>